welcome back to the show all i'm your host sully and once again i have another exclusive guest i have robo pulp himself on twitter martin cartagena how are you <laughs> i'm very good i am awesome thank you so much for inviting me i'm a little we, intrigued we been... by what's going on tonight but very excited about the topic so yeah we were back and forth we had talked about a few different film and music topics and allison chains was one i was like you know what let's We've been talking about collaboration. Let's just, let's just fire it off. Let's get it. Let's <laughs> do some more music history. And in this case, this was a interesting uh, deal because uh, you know I was familiar with all their discography and some of their music videos, but I had no idea about the actual like people behind it, like their history and all. So <laughs> this was very well done so you're not familiar with jerry Cantrell. well i am now but like you know just growing up i just you know i was i was mainly just listening to nirvana and all those other guys so i I didn't know about their Mm, uh, troubled past uh so yeah i you know I, i was born in the 90s but i was also just catching up with just a a lot of just all kinds of especially you know grunge rock and uh hard you know you know metal and all that uh how about yourself <laughs> yes well um i i grew up i'm a little older than you so i i was kind of in my teens when that whole thing was happening so i was <laughs> i guess at the right age to appreciate it you know like at the age when you're like rebelling and things like that that <laughs> happened and it felt it felt so new it felt like a like a shock you know like when you think of what came before what, what was happening in the previous decade with the hair metal and how that reached a point where it became a parody of it, so where it became like the the look of the hair, the big hair, the spandex became more important than the music. All that hair, yeah. I don't know where comes this thing that is the complete opposite. It's stripped down. They're not, you know, they're not dressed up. Everything is very bare bones about them. But the music was just this thing. Like, what and the even hell the nineties, it had know, like they... a kind of grungy, rough sound. And like, whoa. And already the 90s were trying to separate themselves from 80s hair metal, you know, so it's already just interesting how a lot of people like to... Yes, yeah, apparently that was almost like their manifesto, like they were just going to attack, they wanted to just stomp what came before, and I guess it succeeded, because culture shifted, that's the other thing that I find fascinating about that, the the really big cultural shift, how all these bands just got pushed to the side, all of a sudden they were irrelevant, like literally over the course of a few months, they just got shoved to the side, and maybe... To the detriment of culture, all you heard for the next year was grunge. <laughs> for the yeah. next couple of years, like it was just grunge on all the rock stations. Absolutely, and yeah, you can mix them up with all kinds of other just heavy hitters that around that time, like <laughs> a Helmet. And I'm sorry, say that again. I couldn't hear you. What you, you, you can mix them up with all other sorts of just you know acts that that were around this time, like Helmet and, and just uh blind melon just all these other alternative and uh just uh just heavy metal guys that were just you know you kind of knew their sound even more so than their lyrics <laughs> yeah yeah because the sound was very similar you mentioned that because you say helmet and then you say a blind melon and the thing is each one had their own distinctive sound helmet had those guitars that always remind me of motorcycles yeah, I don't know exactly where on the range of guitar playing that that falls, but it was like these kind of like roaring guitars. It, it was, you know it I mean? was like, weird. It, it sound like motorcycles revving up, it. like bikes that are yeah. revving. Yeah, totally. and, I don't know where in the, the on the guitar, like where on the range of a guitar playing that falls, but 
I like that too. I thought it was kind of cool. They sounded like like trucks. They sounded like motorcycles. Like they were getting revved up. And then on the other side of that, Blind Melon, more like a more mellow, more yeah, they were, like they were more sound. like the we're not rock, you know, we're not metal, but we're just you know rock musicians who happen to be catering to the you know hence hence why we're alternative. We're catering to the pop kind of demo, you know uh, artists and you know. Temple of the Dog, Stone Temple Pilots, those guys Temple of the Dog, kind of yeah. dominating. STP. Wow. Uh, that's yeah. kind of where they were kind of going. Yeah, yeah. And everyone likes to just kind of act like, oh, it's just Nirvana or Soundgarden. It's like, that's not true. <laughs> There's uh, what, regardless of who you remember or who you followed, you know, they, they, it's a big deal. Uh, so according to All Music, uh, they, they, they started their gigs in the Seattle area and often would. Uh, play alongside Mother Love Bone, and they got the mm. attention of promoter Randy Hauser. He bankrolled a demo tape of theirs called the Treehouse Tapes. It got oh, the attention yes, of, of the same managers who rep Soundgarden, Kelly Curtis, and Susan Silver, and the rest is history. Because in '89, then they they launched, and uh, they worked with producer David Jordan, who was known for his work with Jane's Addiction. So th- th- then again, there's mm. a similar band. <laughs> and then... So there's a pedigree, yeah. There's like a mm. within that space, I guess. I guess these people will become names over the following decade. But at the yeah. moment, this is still like out there in Seattle. It's happening in that little corner of the world. It's but it's interesting to hear how it's starting to. This is where it's starting to happen. It's sort of congealing. It's reaching critical mass at that point. Exactly. So the, they 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 pretty much did everything right. And they just unfortunately still had some personal obstacles uh, uh, just behind the scenes. It, it, and it just, it's once again, just another reminder that just because you're living the dream doesn't mean you're satisfied. And, you know, even though they were featured on the soundtrack for Cameron Crowe's movie singles, and at the same time that they were touring as opening acts for the likes of Van Halen and Iggy Pop, it just wasn't enough. They, <laughs> had a few other setbacks personally uh they added two songs for the arnold schwarzenegger film last action hero but again you know there's so many great songs Mm. on the album for that over the top you know comedy but people forget the movie movie flopped at the time you know it yeah like UHF, it was making fun of movies and everything, and it just wasn't well marketed and critics who weren't crazy about the persona you know uh, ate it for dinner so it uh, uh, despite that you know they they were still kind of hanging out with the same kind of pearl jam kind of acts just various and i definitely was familiar at uh in the 2000s for their mtv unplugged uh music yes yeah, it's, it's a fantastic show it's kind of like sad to watch it too because you can see that link Staley looks in shape Absolutely. Like, so, he so, looks like sick. Like he's actually, they say that the reason for the gloves and all that is to hide the track mark from, you know, from the needle marks. Mm-hmm. So I guess he reached a point where he probably, the, the veins were tapped out. So he had to keep finding new veins to like, you know, I guess it's no secret. Lane was right. so, yeah, seriously Lane's, addicted to drugs. For those he had like a serious addiction. For, for those listening, Lane Staley was the lead singer. Lane Staley. Uh, the front man. Yeah. yeah. Jerry Cantrell <laughs> was the driving force and so to speak um i don't know what he played though um sorry <laughs> i just that? knew them uh let 
uh Jerry Cantrell, he was he also one of the guitarists or co-singers or he was the lead guitar, yeah. He was lead guitar okay. and sometimes sang as well. And then Sean Kinney was drums. And originally right. the first bassist was Mike uh, Mike Starr. Eventually right. he got replaced yeah. with someone else for the same reason uh, that well ironically he got the, replaced the by another they, guy named Mike. Mike Ness. So. Mikey Ness, yeah. So yeah, I guess we talk about it on a first name basis. Like, def- like we just say Lane, and we should, yeah, Lane Staley. Lane Staley was the lead singer. And, right. Um, I, I, I had my clip. Ahead, I just wanna. But yeah, like Lane Staley oh, okay. was. Uh, Lane, Lane Staley was essentially for those. If we want to break this down in simpler terms, he was essentially the uh, the less troubled but still rather troubled Kurt Cobain, you know, of Nirvana equivalent, you know. So, uh, yeah. as. Uh, Melvin pointed out here. Uh, yeah, he he. Often the music video directors were just, you know, telling their crew do your best to hide the fact that he is high, that he has you know been shooting some stuff up. So that's why they would put glasses on him to show the fact that he hadn't had any sleep. Um, yes. Grunge <laughs> uh, yeah. dot com provided some very very key cliff notes. Uh, he basically, uh, you know, he had a girlfriend who, uh. Uh, who was a drug addict and was selling her body, so to speak, instead of just l- letting him know, hey, you know, I- I'm in trouble and everything, I need help. And uh, that that crippled him. Once she died, he basically, uh, you know, eventually, uh, uh, he just, uh, he just exiled. He would just shoot up a bunch of narcotics in- into his veins while playing video games and, uh, the lead drummer Sean Kinney, like you said, you know, he was kind of a big, uh, kind of like Dave Grohl in Nirvana. A lot of people were familiar with him, and yet, uh, uh, despite trying to contact Staley, you know, three times a week for years, he, he just refused to talk to anybody. He just secluded himself. And, secluded himself. Yeah, exactly. And so that led to. Um... Uh, by the way, uh, thank you for mentioning grunge.com. I didn't know that existed. I actually pulled it up while you were talking, and I'm looking at that. I'm, that is pretty cool. Like, uh, all these yeah, I, I want to always cite my sources. I don't want everyone to just think I'm just going to the first few pages on Wikipedia and making shit up. It's almost like a status thing. If, if you just go with the first few pages on Google, you're not you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I do want to have it read, like, some kind of loose essay of some sort. Um, and... Uh, out of their many albums, uh, Dirt was a giant success, and yet, um, during that same time that you know it broke out, you know their their first real big album, and yet, uh, you know yeah, that that had the singles "Angry Chair," "Wood," and "Rooster," and uh, you know that same time the L.A. riots were in effect, and so they fled to Tijuana, and. Something uh, Joshua, like that, yeah. Yeah, they, 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 their homes were getting raided at that time, and they just said, this is too much trouble. I guess we're going to take off for now. And... There is actually, have you ever, let me see how I explain this. I recently, I shouldn't say recently, more like a month ago, I discovered a channel. I think it's by Gibson Guitars. They actually created a channel, and they have a series called Storytellers. And they have, like, guitar players of influence talking mm-hmm. about themselves. So, so they had, like, Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath on it. I actually have not listened to that one, but they had Dave Mustaine of Megadeth, formerly of Metallica. He was in there. That was a really interesting one to listen to. They had um, Kirk Hammett of Metallica was there as well, telling you know, oh, his wow. story from his side. 
That was really cool. I'll see if I can find you a link and send it to you after we talk. I see, and, and I like channels about... like that. They they allow you to sh- see all these subgenre bands and other just you know exclusives instead of just you know because uh, like there's a few different i think it's like ultimate metal or something that anyone can contribute Ooh. to and so it's cool to see someone do the homework and you know uh not just copy and paste from a clickbait site uh but yeah yeah so that this was before mike Starr got fired as the drummer for his drug habits and tardiness no mike and... Starr was the bassist was the bass player Baseball. Yes, the bass. Yeah, Sean Kenny is a drummer. Yeah, yeah he's still Sean a drummer, Kenny, by the way. He's yeah, still my, together. My, my Mike friend. and Jerry. Yeah, Sean, still, yeah, Sean was still here. On their third album, he was barely able to play the drums, you know, because he had a broken hand. So it's just, it's just very wild. Just all this, again, just the scenes, obstacles. Yeah, all the oh man. But so, I, I wanted to say, I'm um, going back to just briefly to what I was saying about the channel that I told you about, the Gibson channel. Uh, guitar. The Gibson so, channel, uh, like the Gibson guitar, channel. nice. Well, it's a, they created a YouTube, and they had the series called Storytellers, like, so Tony Iommi was there, Dave Mustaine. But one episode is Joey Contrell, and it's fantastic. Like, he's telling everything you say, he's telling it himself in his own way, in his own story. And he mentions the riots about how they went to LA to record. And shortly after the, you know, they get recording on Dirt, the riot start and he uh, said the same thing he talks about how they had to leave town and they had to they had to take these really wild detours because they would reach a, a block let's say and there's people riot and so it's like no back up go back this way they would have to like drive blocks out of their way to avoid the riots to get to eventually they made it to the country to like a, the desert or someplace like that and they were able to just kind of record i guess in seclusion over there but they, they said the same thing it was wild it was crazy what they were uh, going that's a through. shame but you know and we we did lose Mike Starr later. He, after getting arrested in 2011 for un- unauthorized prescription drugs, he was found dead uh, from the overdose in Salt Lake City. So it's just like, man, they they were not the satisfied. The appeal of drugs is powerful, yeah. You think that after, given the story, you know, Lane, when that happened to him more than a decade previous to him, or almost a decade, you figure, okay, that's enough of drugs. But no, they just kept doing it. They just keep doing that. And eventually he... Almost in the same situation as Lane, he found himself. Mm-hmm. So drugs, there's something about drugs. I don't know. I've never tried drugs, so but something about drugs is so powerful that people keep doing it, seeing what well, happens. And to he had friends. been on like celeb rehab, and it's like that's that's bad. Oh, he wasn't that show. I had no idea he wasn't that. Yeah, apparently, yeah. But oh man, <laughs> that show. Uh, the actually, people no, who produced that my, show my, were my, not kind to the, my, to my the people that who was. Were that was Lane Staley, but yeah, same, same kind of deal. It's just like they—they're just. So I will check out that documentary. That sounds wonderful, but yeah, it's just. I, I'll send you a link after. Um, uh, I'll find it. And I'll send you a link afterwards. I'll send it to your Twitter, to your on, on DM. Sure. It's really cool. It's fantastic. If you want to do like a part two in the near future, we can. We might. You want to like watch that and then like uh, talk again because it's fantastic. It's a really good storyteller too. The way he talks about things in this very natural way, like how he was a teenager. He mm-hmm. was actually became friends with a guy from Pantera, a heavy metal band from the previous decade. Yeah. Who, uh, someone named Dimebag Daryl, who actually got shot on stage, apparently. Yeah, damage. Yeah. Yeah, it was so tragic when I read about it because I found out about him a decade later and I was like, these guys are great. What happened to him? Oh, well. That, that happened. I imagine, yeah, you're from Texas. You probably knew Pantera, right? You're, they probably like, I, mean, I knew about that. Like Pantera was big, especially you couldn't go any <laughs> high school or, 
at college <laughs> without seeing someone with a you know with heavy metal shirt. logo shirt especially pantera <laughs> metallica is just but yeah that, that damage plan is just so tragic because kind of like drowning pool another dallas set band it was just like they the day they got big they lost their front man so i was just like god what happened to the guy from drowning pool uh, uh the lead singer died i don't remember what he died from but he oh wow and it was just not the same they they they, they found a <laughs> similar artist but i was like no let's see not the that same, presence, that the same, same album and you know the signature sounds and everything you know and just the producers at wind up records it's just it was missing that and it's just it's a shame because uh you know i i, I get it you got to make the bills <laughs> you know get i imagine yeah especially the label because they probably have invested already a lot of money into the band and it's like what the hell do we do now you know like yeah, how do you we, find we, your new you know, voice yeah exactly yes like, it's almost like starting over in a way because now you have a new member he has to kind of learn how to work with the other guys in the band they have mm -hmm. to be able to you know work as a unit but the label just you know we've put money on this we gotta get this out like you you guys need to get it together quickly and i imagine that's where a lot of drug use comes from from the pressure of having to now become a band in, immediately because you know this is your the thing you want to do mm -hmm. and now you have this big problem to deal with i'm <laughs> simplifying it's not that simple but i imagine behind the scenes there's all kinds of craziness um i was so listening much. to an episode of uh, joe rogan and we kind of go on a topic a little bit but it not not really and the <laughs> guest was uh, billy corgan from the smashing pumpkins and he was getting a little bit into the craziness behind the scenes when the the Smashing Pumpkins were big, you know, which was around the same time as when Alice in Chains and Grunge were big, it's their contemporaries. And it's wild, the stories he talked about, like the people he would meet behind the scenes and how they have almost like um, mathematical formulas to be able to say, <laughs> when, when we sign up this guy at this age, how many records can we get out of this guy before he either burns out or becomes an addict and dies or something else happens to him? It's amazing. He said how they can almost predict to the rec to the to the day, like the career arc of a rock star. And right. based on that, they make a decision to sign you up or not. So it was really well. I'll find that also and send it to you. You may enjoy that. Maybe in the future sure. you want to talk about the smashing pumpkins. But um uh, that ties in also because Jerry talks about that about the behind the scenes stories. And one of those <laughs> is about how um they were at the peak of their fame. They they released dirt, dirt becomes platinum very quickly. They put out the other album. And then, you know, they, they had the songs for the soundtrack to Last Action Hero, which you said there were two songs in that soundtrack? Two songs by Alice in Chains in that soundtrack? Yeah, yeah two. Can you tell me the titles of those songs? Because I only knew of one. Yeah, yeah, that, that's just it. Like, all the songs that were on all the albums were not on their actual, you know, band albums. So. No, uh, but, but I mean, do you know the title of the two songs that were for the soundtrack of Last Action uh, Hero? That's what because I'm I thought... Up. Oh, okay. Because uh, I only a, a one song. A little, a little bitter. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And then going down, what the hell have I? And then I the am familiar with that one, which is one the of the best samples of showcasing mm -hmm. what Allison Chase did. Why Allison Chase was this amazing thing to listen to, and still is in a way, even with the new right. Guy. And the and the yeah. rest of the soundtrack is all by Megadeth. Uh, Aerosmith, ACDC, Queen's Right, Tesla, Def Leppard, <laughs> and Anthrax. It's so, pretty yeah. impressive. That's actually for the era because all those bands were kind of big in that era. So that's actually a, an impressive lineup of music. Mm -hmm. And on its own right, regardless of uh, outside of the grunge influence. Well, yeah, like um, sometimes they released that album. 
they would I'm sorry album, sometimes it could backfire like the album to a movie could be bigger than the actual movie you know? I think this <laughs> is one case where that happened I think the soundtrack eclipses the movie <laughs> right uh I, that the same similar deal happened with uh the mystery film uh Judgment Night you know despite having a big cast of character actors and being by reliable guys who you know did action movies it the film was bigger on home video and more more people just knew about the rap songs that were made for the soundtrack so it's just uh, it is interesting how a formula can just backfire and judgment night is that the movie with um emilia Estevez, cuba yes. Gooding jr oh yeah. okay yeah 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 that's one of those movies that i would go to the video store and i would see the poster but i would never pick up the movie and eventually at some point it was just on youtube one weekend i, I see that oh i remember and that like movie. every mystery movie you never knew if it if people liked it or hated it because you like any mystery film that you'd get a bunch of people say oh that was whack oh that was overrated and then you get a bunch of people saying oh that's underrated <laughs> it's fun and yeah so, well, in the case of this movie i don't even know if that got a theatrical distribution i get the feeling that it was like a thing that went straight to video but maybe, maybe in other I'm countries wrong. but it definitely got released in the u.s here so, yeah. okay yeah and it's actually not a bad movie like i saw it and i'm like you know this is pretty okay like it's not bad i mean it's not great but okay like it, it's decent it was like for a genre film yeah it's fun yeah for the genre for what it was i, I love the whole notion how like if you've ever seen the movie how like they're on the freeway and they take this detour and suddenly they're like in in, in hell they're like <laughs> it's just below the freeway there's this world that's just urban landscapes <laughs> so, but i actually thought that was pretty clever too like i thought from a filmmaking standpoint that was actually a really cool way of showing you how they're like in this place and they're isolated now they're like no one can help them now they can only rely on themselves right <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, but I, then you mentioned the soundtrack so the soundtrack to that movie judgment night was better than the movie like it, it had more success than the movie yeah and i was just using it as a contrast it's just like it's interesting how just you know, record stores had way more spontaneousness back then. You know, it's just yeah, uh, that is true. I think also there was maybe like a well, we're talking about this. Uh, this is, I guess, why we while we're on the topic of Alice in Chains, we're still on topic of Alice in Chains. We haven't gone off topic. It's just that while Alice in Chains is doing their thing, you know, making music, the other thing they're doing, them and Nirvana and Soundgarden, is they're changing the culture. And one possible effect of that is, like, as you point out there was maybe more looseness with like soundtracks so you have <laughs> names big names in movies that probably didn't do too well or that went straight to video or were part of that little time window that independent niche, yeah. yeah that little niche of independent people were movies. doing alternative distribution methods you know years before we had what methods. we now what versus what we have now where there's still people who you know do self-distribute on a digital site or you know uh, yeah yeah they were doing the analog version of that back then but i guess also the record labels maybe were a little more relaxed with things so you didn't have names filling a soundtrack like you said you have all these rappers who were a big deal at the time and some of them still are mm -hmm. for a movie that probably costs less to put together than the album actually in terms of cost in terms of production and recording costs we'll return after these messages Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now?
Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga. Right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous. I don't even know where to Anyways, uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast sci-fi horror fantasy superheroes comedy action film television maybe some not so current events find us on itunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com cool thing about blind knowledge is we are in multiple countries we are worldwide all across the globe we are in the u.s we are in the uk we are in canada germany india japan we're in australia y'all blindknowledge.com now back to the feature presentation. The movie might have been actually cheaper to make than though. It probably <laughs> was. Produced, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's all kinds of irony. I mean, people had money to throw back then versus now where they got to figure out, you know, hey, you know, if you can do it, basically kind of like, uh, you know, a music album, if you can tour and rein in a lot of, you know, ticket sales, you know, you're set for life. Versus, you know, a movie where it's based on, you know, do you get along with the talent and can you make it for the price that we've asked you to make it for without sacrificing your vision? It's, it's, there's always going to be just so much, just, you know, too many cooks sometimes in the kitchen. Um, yes. Yeah. And that's what it feels like in that time period, maybe they were not as involved. Like they were not so predatory about the rights of the songs. Like, yeah, put it in there. Sure, put it in there. It'll be seen, you know. Like, and and the result is you have ninety soundtracks that are very are classic now unto themselves. Almost like there's some music, you know, the proper studio releases, but there's soundtracks of that era that are almost <laughs> worth collecting for themselves. And that's again part of the, what was going on with that era with grunge, with Alice in Chains is 
this kind of more relaxed attitude about putting music anywhere else, whereas now the rec rec at least the record labels the big labels are very um protective about the rights now like you want to get the rights to a song for like 15 minutes in a in a little independent it's movie that you make for one million dollars mm -hmm. you can or you find that the rights are distributed among like 20 entities and yeah, maybe one entity yeah. is okay but the other 18 are saying no we don't want that so you gotta go do something else but I guess the alternative is that now you can just probably approach someone if you like their music. You can approach them directly on uh, what is the so SoundCloud? SoundCloud. I used to. I don't really hear it that much anymore. But for a while, I was hearing that a lot. I guess it must be something new now. But SoundCloud was the big one, where if you did, you worked the platform, you could actually have a song doing really well in there. But I guess we're, we're in the present, going back to the past. <laughs> Record labels were just more relaxed. Record labels were saying. You know, we got this band, they're going to come out huge. And we got this song. Well, we got two songs. What do you say? You want to put them on the soundtrack to this really big movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> and the movie gets released, and yeah, it, the, the release of the movie and the soundtrack was better for Grunge than it was for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Kind of a double, but also kind of a double <laughs> insult to injury because it's like, then you're not going to buy it unless you've seen the movie. <laughs> Mm -hmm. you some guess, of you, a quarter you might buy it because you like all those bands but still you know that's it's a quarter you know <laughs> versus giant crowd um and altogether um it's actually interesting seeing how many other songs they had in the vault that they didn't release until years later like 92 the bassist uh mike star actually wrote a song uh called fear of the voices but it didn't get released oh, until yes, years after that. he had and kicked out <laughs> yeah that was released i want to say 98 i want to or yeah, maybe even later than that I like the next year 99 yeah <laughs> yeah well it's interesting you mentioned that because part of the reason why that song got recycled you know pulled back from like their notebooks or whatever from back in the day is because of lane staley's issues because he reached a point by the late 90s where it was difficult to get like this point you mentioned it was difficult to get a hold of him it was difficult to get him to do anything yeah where is he <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so Jerry Cantrell in Storytellers in the Gibson YouTube channel, he talks about that, about how it, frustrating it was to do something because Jerry was like a working person. Like he took this thing seriously. He was there long hours with the engineers, with the, you know, making sure the album was exactly the way it should. Mm -hmm. So he had a work ethic that was kind of the opposite of Link Staley. Link was kind of more relaxed. He had to kind of be pushed into the studio. He had to kind of be pushed <laughs> to do multiple takes. And that's what Jerry did, but with his addiction, with his problems, he just wouldn't show up in the studios because there was no communication among the members of the band. You know, Jerry would show up to the studio in the morning and they would wow. just wait and exactly. wait, literally wait an entire day. It was nighttime and Jerry right. just, and Lane just didn't show up. And yeah. I guess eventually something was worked out where they were able to get the song recorded and all that. They but must it, it have was been like making a, enough income to where the producers were waiting until like near the end to just say, okay, something's got to go. Studio in. space, yeah, hanging out in a studio, which is very expensive. Yeah, we will give you three years to figure this out. Yeah, because <laughs> we're already making plenty of music. If they were repped by Soundgarden, I'm sure they were making plenty of income from, you know, Chris Cornell's still. And I guess so, yeah. Uh, they should have moved on the part of Kirk Cornell too to Mary Susan Silver. <laughs> very similar. And so Dave, Dave Jordan, the producer, I saw, and I never thought of this, but apparently, yeah, the man in the box, they they are like, Hey, Jer uh Jerry, you gotta use a voice box in this, you know, just for the vocals. Uh, because he had listened to Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi and he thought you 
this will make it a success. So the oh oh, that's oh the people think it's a guitar, but it's actually yeah, a voice box. But it's interesting because so they were already with the formula, just the oldest trick in the book. Everything mm. can share the same bill because it's all got to look and sound alike. <laughs> mm. But be yeah, they were um they were kind of plucking from something previous to you know to bring it into this thing. And like I said, that's probably my first experience of Alice in Chains listening to that song. And I cannot remember exactly where I was, but I remember stopping what I was doing to listen because yeah, I couldn't so articulate it. Ones. Yeah, but I remember like this is different. This is something different. Like in, in this landscape of sameness, here's this thing that doesn't sound like anything else. Yet it draws from that. It draws from what came before because um in interviews, uh, Jerry Cantrell has stated that he was influenced by hair metal. Like the foundation of Al of Alice in Chains is actually hair metal or heavy metal. Mm -hmm. and he eventually plucked it went in a different direction but that was there like hair metal was a direction and if you ever find footage of them on youtube like old videos from like say 1986 87 they look like a hair metal band they got all big hair they they got like a really flamboyant exaggerated kid and it's kind of fascinating to see that then you see the videos 1988 they kind yeah. of get it more stripped down their song is starting to come together and you see how like now they're wearing less makeup and their hair is smaller and then 1989, and you see now it's even more stripped down. Like it, 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 everything is getting more stripped down in terms of looks. So mm -hmm. the music is getting sharper. The sound is coming together. And eventually, there's like a little bit of 1990, and like there they are. Like the mythology, like the, everything is there. It came together. It's all there. <laughs> but it took like four years, and they started very influenced by hair metal. Like anything you can find from the from that era, they they look like like a Bon Jovi or like Cinderella. Nice. They look like any band from that era. They look exactly the same. And then gradually <laughs> that starts going away, and oh, there's Alice in Chains. Yeah. So like That's we said, great. yeah, Men in the Box is a song that draws from that influence, but doesn't sound like anything else. It was just like, no. what is this? Like, immediately, I was curious, what is this? Like, I couldn't find out immediately. And back in those days, information was not so we easy didn't, to come by. We just had the thing. lyrics on the CD or the record but we didn't have, yeah, yeah, like we say, we a little snippet that maybe meeting. the DJ would give you, like if the DJ mm -hmm. knew about it, as opposed to this air now where like you had anything coming the... out now, yeah, there's way to too much information on Twitter already. You already know too much and you don't even know yet what it is you're even going to hear or see. You had to wait <laughs> for the VH1 behind the music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I remember that experience. Like this is different. This is so different. So they are the mm -hmm, Seattle it, sound, it's almost like, a, yeah. like all those other things. And just like people were debating about what her rap was East Coast versus West Coast. And then it gets complex when Tupac is from the opposite of what he's claiming to you know represent. It's just always oh, yeah, interesting yeah. how uh, people get kind of like sports teams. People get personal about who's repping what because it just goes into the accents and singing styles and Dem the demographics of who you're targeting as your audience um some of my other favorite songs are angry chair damn that mm. river check my brain again heaven beside you especially and never fade and them bones and nutshell so nutshell. just I like everything everything they've done I, has been yeah. just fantastic i mean and the fact that it's consistent too that they've been able to do that consistently up until the fairly recently too because um I don't know how long ago. I know it was pre-pandemic. They had another album. They released another album called Rainier Fog. And it's pretty solid. It's I think that was after good. 2013, right? 
I'm going to, I want to say 2014, but I'm not really sure, but it was pre-pandemic. It was before everything that happened in 2020. Right. Okay. <laughs> and um, it was still fairly solid. It was still like, they're still there. Like it's consistent. When you compare other bands from that era, like say Smashing Pumpkins, I honestly don't really like their more recent stuff. I'm, I'm kind of in 90 Smashing Pumpkins. I'm not really so keen on what they did after the 2000s, <laughs> really, unfortunately. Uh, it happens where it's just like, hey, okay. Uh, you, you had your moment in your son. I'm just going to go back to the greatest hits. Exactly, yeah. But Alice in Chains, they're still solid. They, they're still consistent. They're still solid, good, like quality. And I imagine a good deal of that is Jerry Cantrell. He's kind of the driving force of that band. He pretty much had to uh, take it over, basically, because <laughs> everyone else is just, you know, I don't want to say they're half-assing it because they did bring a lot. It's just they... Yeah, you know, personally, they didn't figure themselves out, and and it is a shame because it's just very, very underwhelming. When again, you know, you just can't get that kind of talent back. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, sure that is true. I'm, and this is before again, you know, we could have seeked out any kind of reliable help. And I get it. You know, some people, especially famous people, are reluctant to trust certain counselors because there's a lot of them who they might have a license but they won't necessarily solve your issue or give mm -hmm. you a solution they just kind of take your money so it is it does make you wonder what who what could have happened differently who could have stepped in and said hey i gotta intervene i gotta get you some kind of assistance you know yeah, yeah, because I imagine also the label would interfere in some level, but not so much out of concern, but more because, you know, of the money invested in the band, mm -hmm. which is, a, you know, it's a different type of care. It's more like about trying to get you somewhat okay so you can just keep touring and you can keep making money for them and all that. They, they pretty but, much, they took it easy when they first toured, like in 88, where they were known under the name fucking Mothra. <laughs> Oh, really? They would pass what? out condoms that said fuck in, and then in parentheses the band and then you know Mothra there's a Godzilla reference so they're clearly we know what they were watching and then they apparently wow. changed it to Diamond or some shit but then mm. that, that was before again their demo went out and they decided okay let's actually market our name let's change it <laughs> change it yeah so yeah, what is the meaning of Alice in Chains um, I don't know. Actually, it's funny. I've never given. I might have remembered that once. But... It's a takeoff of Alice in Wonderland with an S and Oh, okay, okay. Wow. Okay. I, I mm. figured Alice in Wonderland, but I didn't. I figured Chains was just you know I'm enslaved or something. Chains. <laughs> Maybe it's a reference to addiction. I guess because that's such a big theme. Among no, no, it's S and M, the the sex act. Oh, okay. Oh, it's a bit of a private joke, then I guess. Yeah, I'm joke. sure. Well, and that's the fun. I mean, just like there's rock bands like Spock's Brain, it's or Spock's Beard. It's just it's funny. Scene. What, are, what are they called? Spock's Beard. Spock's Beard. It's after the Star Trek characters' evil oh, alter ego. So yeah, uh, yeah. It's funny like how, the evil one, the one with the goatee kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, that's part of the deal. Is you can do some pop culture references and. You got to have a weird name. That's part of the marketing hack. So, <laughs> you know, this is interesting. You brought up an interesting thing about not only Alice in Chains, but Grunge in general. They were actually funny people. Like, they actually had a sense of humor. But it's interesting because right. they became associated with darkness, with like bleakness and depression. And all I think that. a lot of that was the media 
of brainwashing. Yeah, they kind of played up that angle, but as a whole, like all those guys were actually funny. Like they didn't take the whole thing too seriously. Kind of. They I had mean, all kinds of little jokes like that, like yeah. little jokes and hidden meanings and like. Just things they did to fuck with the media, I guess. Little things they did to to fuck with fans to maybe make a lot them of them were. Things. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but it is funny though, which ones didn't know they were a big deal until they get, themselves got parody. Like Weird Al was told uh, by Kurt Cobain, he didn't realize you know they had made it big until he parodied their song uh, oh, "Sounds Like Teen Spirit." Yeah. So it, wow. but no, that, that that is true. Kind of like how the media was, you know, blaming you know rap music for violence in urban areas that mm. uh, they were always you know catholic groups trying to break down you know christian uh organizations trying to ban music because they figured hey a few of these bands are satanists or have a <laughs> demonic imagery you know they're brainwashing our kids gonna make them you know serial killers so I, i'm pretty sure plenty of that was here but grunge was kind of just breaking in there through for more than just like kind of the druggy crowd and more just you know the the punks in school you know it was kind of an underground scene that was taking off because people just really loved their melodies and but like you say mm -hmm. yeah they would have some wacky stuff in there uh looking at some of the other fact sheets on various sites it was actually interesting to me how many they had a few very depressing music video ideas and they both they all sh eventually shouted down the ideas i think jerry came up with one and it was just it was too depressing and after uh, you know, the other front man had passed away and there's like, this isn't going to serve you in terms of record sales. No one's going to pay to watch this video because that's right, guys. Back in the day, it came on a videotape. <laughs> Does it or, mention what the idea was? Like, what was his idea for the music video? Uh, let's look it up again. It was, um, <laughs> it was so wild. Um, <laughs> it's actually pretty sad. Um, Alice in Chains, Abandoned music oh wait i just had it da, 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 da. this comes from spin diddy and yeah it hey uh basically um uh, yeah they were gonna do a music video for the song sea of sorrow and oh yeah. uh, uh Basically, uh, Jerry wanted to make it be a spaghetti western with a brothel of whores and a gunfight, oh. and the band would be performing. And even though it was supposed to be comedic relief, uh, just uh, uh, what's his name? Thod, Thod Beard, uh, just was oh, told by yeah. his family, this isn't going to make you any money. And then he quit the production. And uh, a CSRO music video was produced years later, but it had nothing to do with birds, you know, vision. So, yeah, well, it, that sounds actually kind of fun. Like the idea of shooting it like a western, because I mean, the song is very bleak. Like Theosaur was a really depressing song, mm -hmm. and the way it's shot actually is kind of like a bleak. It's like black and white, like this acid exposed film stock. And Jay Lee, at one point, you can see Lane looks like he's like in a pool of mud. <laughs> I don't know, like what they propose sounds kind of cool because I'd imagine something very colorful and maybe fun like i don't know maybe they're having like showdowns and things like that it's too right. bad they didn't use that sounds actually i think i would have enjoyed that more than the actual video that they released which probably was cheaper to shoot because they probably shot that in a soundstage and it's just them playing music versus <laughs> something they would have to go find like sound stages or right. like a, one of those abandoned back lots where they used to shoot westerns they'd have to go do something like that that would probably cost more but 
I'd rather have that, I guess. That sounds kind of fun. That idea sounds kind of fun. <laughs> Actually. I must have been thinking of someone else that they got shouted down that had depressing themes. So yeah, that's <laughs> as well. Yeah, because it's hard to get away from depression. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't really see that myself. Like, I mean, I understand. But like, I don't, I'm not depressed when I listen to Alice in Chains. Like, I feel actually, it, it's very slice of life. It feels like it's just simply, it's just living. It's just simply what it is to be alive, to mm-hmm. have to exist with other people, to have to make compromises, to yes, live, to and to be with people. <laughs> well, you know, the compromises you make with your partner, you know, like with your life partner, the compromises you make at work, like the compromises you make for the sake of getting along. That's what it feels like to me. It doesn't feel like it's despair. It doesn't feel like, I don't know, like Dostoevsky, let's say. It doesn't feel that is depressing to me. Right. <laughs> no, but the, the, it doesn't feel that way. But um, I, I get it. It's not for everybody. It's something there, for example, I consider that to be a masterpiece, but I would not recommend that to someone with like chemical imbalance, someone prone to depression. Like I wouldn't Probably recommend not. that album because <laughs> <laughs> that album is almost like a horror story, really, in a way. Mm-hmm. No way, telling like what a, other yeah. notes they were but, getting. Uh, in terms of pure musical artistry, it's amazing. It's a fantastic listening experience. It's where you see them come together. It's where you see that interplay of Jerry's guitar and Lane's voice. Like you said earlier, Lane's voice is like an instrument. He uses the voice right. like an instrument in a number of places. Where you listen to little things like breakdowns and little mini moments that he does, and I'm like, is that his voice or is that like they use something? And it's his <laughs> voice. Like it was just, just amazing, just outstanding. And then there's the harmonies too, the way they sort of like work together, like Jerry and, and Lane. Yeah. They create these sort of overlapping <laughs> harmonies that is, there's really nothing like that. Of all the guys in Grunge, of all the bands of that era, they're all singing yeah. it together. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it was just a, an amazing. Still is. I mean, it still is. But like I said, it's 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 one of those. You know, when you people want recommendations, and there's that thing that you kind of want to recommend, but you're cautious. Like, it's a cautious recommend. Uh, it's like that. Like there is like that. It's something. If you're in a certain state of mind, I don't recommend it because it might just send you over the edge. <laughs> I know I'm not exaggerating. It seems like I'm exaggerating, but yeah, if you're caught in the wrong at the wrong time in a very vulnerable moment that album is probably not not a good thing to listen to but if you simply appreciate music musicians just working at the peak of their form then listen to dirt it's amazing it's something of like it's literally unique it's one of the best things of the 90s possibly the 20th century nice <laughs> yeah I, I i don't have any issue with any of their albums that i've listened to i think they're all just i mean it's just kind of like you say it's just very rare kind of harmony a very rare kind of uh just escapade <laughs> yeah totally no that they that's what i mean they're consistently good but in there they they reach like a peak when people you know when someone peaks an artist or an athlete peaks that was kind of like a peak they did something amazing they kind of channel all that dark energy and they made something beautiful out of it i guess because they were all having their problems when they were making the house they all had their <laughs> you know their personal problems their addiction the all that stuff and they were right. able to take all that and just channel it and make something beautiful. You know, they took all that dark, ugly energy and created something beautiful that still stands to this day. When you listen to that now, it feels very contemporary. It feels like something made just a little while ago. They couldn't. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, when they continue this, it's like it's 
they've been doing it long enough that they're comfortable doing what they do. But I, I think much like Megadeth, they just kind of were in that rare oyster of, you know, they're they're getting played, but it's after all the other big bands, you know, that are better known, you know. Mm, yeah, definitely. And eventually, it didn't hurt know, them. But from what I gather, they still had sales in the platinum. You know, yeah, they still, they still made money. It's just, I think they just had to take a breather, you know. As totally, opposed yeah. to like Nirvana, the... where Cobain's gone, so that's it for Nirvana, you know. <laughs> mm, yeah, which is unfortunate. You wonder like what more was coming next, you know? Like what would they would they have done? Could it next? have gotten uglier? Could it have lasted another decade? You know, <laughs> it's exactly yeah. Maybe it could have gone either way. So it's game. almost like. Yeah, like you ended up on top. Like, there's no, you're not going downhill from there. Which to bring back the Smashing Pumpkins, like I said, like I almost wish they would stop making music for a while, not not keep making music because not only is he still making the ambition, still seems to be there to make these like epic two three hour records, but something is missing. Not the skill, but something is missing. When you listen to Melancholy, you can see the ambition, the skill, and something that makes the album work. More recently, in fact, just months ago, he really they had another album release, and I, I think it's like again, it's something that continues on the whole zero, the character of zero and all that, and it's like a three and a half hour record. Wow! It, it, they say it's just not there. Like whatever it was in Melancholy is not there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there are plenty of them where the producers stop giving notes. They're like, "Hey, the last cell was good, and <laughs> if this one doesn't do well, you've got three more years to come up with a better one." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe that in the contract, there's a little bit of space in between records to do stuff. It probably has to. I mean, you you do need that downtime just to brainstorm and you know, totally, yeah, test totally. it out, perform. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder maybe at least you know them, you know, going back on to Smashing Pumpkins, maybe don't aim for like a big epic album. Make Gish, you know, make the small album with only a million dollars for a budget and without any ambition. Whatever just can make it. A- make- harder challenge but a better product yeah <laughs> yeah i mean just try that you know just try that don't keep going bigger and bigger maybe try the u-turn make a u-turn into something smaller something more <laughs> limited i guess and maybe something. maybe you'll find that mojo again mm-hmm. but anyway yeah so going back to alice in change i was going to mention did you know they made well they didn't make they produce a web series called black antenna it's like a sci-fi web series and what no is idea. new about yeah, look look up Black Antenna. I could be wrong, but look up Black Antenna. <laughs> what makes this interesting is the 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 series, each episode or webisode is basically by one their style, new one album, Rainier Fog. Wow. Yeah, and what makes it interesting is each episode it's or webisode is essentially each track, wow. each track of the song plays to this little action about two aliens on planet earth one is like a girl a teenage girl and one is like an older man and they they keep like stealing things to try to communicate with their own planet and he makes money from having the girl just basically prostitute herself so it's kind of i'm sure yeah it's graphic but it's also the film is upcoming the web series has been around a while and this is back in 2019 and yeah this is totally after rainier fog was made and they they, rainier fog essentially is the soundtrack to web black antenna it's so wild how they don't describe where it got released on. I found that I on YouTube, was... and but it's possible that because there's there is like a nudity and sex, they probably removed it from YouTube. I don't think it would last very long on YouTube. <laughs> so I got lucky. I got lucky that YouTube didn't know about it. The bots didn't know about it. 
So I was able to actually not only watch it, but listen to the entire album that way, watching it in episodes. <laughs> and now I don't know if you can, maybe Daily Motion, that uh, place, no one's watching anything uh, there. I so. see it all on YouTube. So yeah, maybe they just had age oh, still there. The, the, all the, the whole thing is uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So maybe after we're done talking, you, if you feel like it, you might want to watch it. Let me know what you think. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I like it. If you're a fan of sci-fi, I think you might like this, like Black Antenna uh, show. Web yeah, theory, I've uh, seen web, it's web paying theory. tribute to a lot of retro sci-fi. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's basically the whole essence of a music video, an interactive music video movie. <laughs> Definitely has that. Yeah, like I said, I I thought that was pretty interesting too. How they they apply their music to this thing, and it works. Like Rainier Fog as an album works for this little concept series. So. <laughs> they're kind of expanding you know they seem to be old guys in the sense that they come from an era of analog recording the distribution system was kind of locked into records and all that but here they are trying new things yeah, they had to new things. <laughs> and i imagine now i don't even know what they're what they're doing now if they release music independently or if they're still working record labels i don't know what they're doing That's uh, yeah i i have not seen them be very active on social media so i think they're gonna keep surprising us for better or worse <laughs> That's good. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. That is kind of refreshing when when someone is not on social media. It's almost like, like yeah, uh, they don't have time to piss anyone off, really. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's plenty of people Twitter, who yeah. you don't want to know more about because you'll see the ugly side of them. <laughs> yeah, you and I know that because we're on Twitter, and mm-hmm. every day there's like drama, there's outrage, there's something to be pissed off about. Someone wants <laughs> to piss off everybody, and it's it is, like, it is, for it real. Is, yeah, I complain, but I do like the platform. It's just that nasty side of it where, like, it's just constant 24-7 outrage about something or someone. <laughs> it just never ends, and really people are looking yeah. for it, too, which is just like, jeez. <laughs> well, this has been great having the Robo-Pope uh, on here. Uh, where, where can we find you uh, outside of Twitter? I am usually on Twitter as Robo-Pope. That's usually my 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 platform of of a choice because i do have a facebook but i very rarely use it i have an insta but i don't really use it i love that interaction of images and um, text that you can do on, t- on twitter so i kind of find ways to filter out the hate and the outrage and the <laughs> and the hate and the trolls on twitter as robopope mm-hmm. well, i do my best as well and because i'm not going to use twitter for the wrong reasons you know regardless of who's controlling it you know just i'll stop know, using right, it yeah, yeah. there's no real traction you know for the podcast but yeah. i forgot about that i forgot that when elon Musk formally took over the platform people were losing their minds on twitter yeah <laughs> i guess just because we just knew he didn't really have any good interest in using it but hopefully there's someone competent enough to drive the ship but we'll see but the thing is so far i don't really notice any changes to the way it works like my twitter still works i i know they don't like it if you repeat the same sentence then they detect the bots detect you as spam but other than that it's pretty oh, much the same okay huh i, I actually did not notice that. i did lose some followers but they were probably bots to begin with so i'm okay with yeah that. they're they're cutting down on a lot of stuff that's sexually explicit or just spam so then I'm, I'm sure you know that that shit will go away but it is what it is um yeah. th- thank you ever so much for joining me in this very vivid chat thank you so me. much for inviting me i hope i can come again at some other point maybe we can talk about that smashing pumpkins next well we'll get there we'll get there yeah. <laughs> All right, well you have a great night and thank you so much for Likewise. Um, just time to talk with you so take uh, care i'll keep you updated on when the stairs
us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a